Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. So here we are now in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1 where Jehu is appointed king of Israel. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil, Pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. Oh, goodness sake, what's going on here? Well, let's get into it. Well, there was long ago a command that had been given to Elijah to go and anoint Jehu. And that command now got picked up for Elisha to do. And now Elisha was delegating that task down to one of the sons of the prophets. Why? Being that he's young, that means he's very fast. And so he was to go and anoint Jehu with oil as king and leave quickly. Now, first off, pouring oil on somebody's head, that was symbolic of the Spirit of God that would come upon them to be able to do what God had called them to do. When the Spirit of God would come upon someone, it was to enable them with empowerment. And so Jehu's empowerment as to be king was going to be for the purpose of executing God's violent, wrathful judgment on all those who refused to stop worshiping that false god, Baal. And so Elisha told the young man, anoint him, because when he, when he gets anointed, he's going to get that empowerment from the Lord to execute that wrathful judgment. So he said, anoint him and get out of there, because it was about to get chaotic And he didn't want that young son of the prophet to be anywhere near Jehu once he got that authority and empowerment on him. Things are about to get really rough. 2 Kings 9 and 4. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head, and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, 
the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Okay, good. So he got out of there like he was told to do. So the young prophet's mission here was not only to anoint Jehu as king, but it was also to give this give Jehu instructions on what to do. Now, this is quite amazing for a new king to take any instructions at all from a young man. And so Jehu was going to have to take this instruction, understanding that it was from the Lord. So you can see how the Lord is taking command of this situation here, that despite the young man's youth, that Jehu was going to have to listen to it and abide by it. And so now all this destruction that would be coming from Jehu, that would be holy vengeance against all those who had killed the Lord's ministers who had called people to stop worshiping Baal. Remember, for a long time, as we've been reading in this book, the Baal worshipers have been called out by God's people. You got to stop doing this. And Jezebel was killing them off. And so here we have that wicked queen Jezebel mentioned. She gave all the orders for most of God's people to be killed. And buddy, let me tell you, she has really got it coming to her. She's got her judgment ahead big time. Well, as we just read, it was prophesied that dogs would eat her to where there'd be nothing left of her to bury. Now, dogs in those days were considered low animals of insult. They weren't the cute little cuddly domesticated pets that we have today. They were insulting scavengers. Now, to consider someone of royalty, a queen like Jezebel, would be eaten by dogs? That was the most unheard of, impossible, ain't never going to happen scenario that the Lord could have prophesied out to Jehu. Or any nobody would have believed it. I mean, how how do you end up so royal and eaten by dogs? It, they're supposed to have funerals with honor and a procession and and all this traditional stuff involved. It was big. How will dogs eat her? Well, that's what the Lord said was going to happen. But overall, the Lord geared Jehu up to go out and totally annihilate Ahab's entire family line from off of the face of the earth. Friends, we got to understand that this was a family line that was so vile, they were so hateful, and so rejecting of the Lord. Actually, they had long profited off of killing God's people. They were making a living off of murder and using the royalty that God gave to Ahab's line. They were using that leadership position that God gave them in order to pull it all off. So before you start feeling sorry for Ahab's family line that's about to get annihilated here, or before you start thinking that maybe God was somehow unfair to wipe all these people out, you've got to first consider how many years, how many generations of years that the Lord patiently waited for them to turn around and come back. All the ministers that said, hey, you need to turn around and get right with the Lord, and they never listened. They continued to do damage. This is what they got coming to him. Second Kings 9.11 Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And they said, A lie. Tell us now. So he said, Well, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him 
on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. Now, friends, I want you to realize they blew trumpets at the at the coming in of a new king, right? Well, we blow the shofar at the church that I pastor, and the reason we do it is because when a king comes, when you celebrate a, a king arriving, you blow trumpets. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back with a shout. He's also going to come back with the blowing of the trumpet of God. So he is royalty. He is king. Just wanted to show you that little blip of uh, some foreshadowing there, the Lord coming in. So these officers, they probably thought this young prophet was kind of crazy because he, he come in quick and he they did something in the inner room and then he took off running. This looks weird. That's all they got to see. It just looked odd to them. And Jehu knew the prophet's behavior was odd too, like to come pour the oil and then then book it out of there. At first, Jehu just kind of tried to play it off like he was crazy. He he goes, "Oh, you know they're babble. It's kind of kind of just kind of nuts." Well, Jehu's guys thought no. He was dressed the way a prophet dresses. They they had a certain appearance about them. So the officers were not going to let Jehu play it off very easy. So when they pushed him, they found out Jehu was going to be king. So they immediately set up a proper ceremony to make him official. Jehu is now king. Problem is, you got two other kings. So you got a couple of kings that are out there doing war, making war out there, but now Jehu's king. So wait a minute, who's king here? (laughs) Well, Jehu's going to be king. That means the other king's got to go. So watch what happens. 2 Kings 9.14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now, Joram had been defending Ramoth-Gilead, he and all Israel, against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, If you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, For Joram was laid up there, and Ahaziah king of Judah had come down to see Joram. Okay, so in verse 14, this is not the same Jehoshaphat who was once king of Israel himself. This is a different guy with the same name. But you can see how Jehu had suddenly been empowered by God to get right down to taking on King Joram because it said he was conspiring against him. He was already thinking of ways to get at him. Why was he going against Joram? because Joram was from King Ahab's line. And the point here is that Ahab's line is going to be annihilated. And it's right here in verse 14 that we catch back up to where we left off at the end of chapter 8. Now, that was when King Ahaziah went down to see King Joram because he was recovering from battle wounds from some war they were doing. So we're caught up now from chapter 8. So Jehu commanded, nobody's to leave the city. Close the gates up because he didn't want news of him becoming king to make it down to Jezreel. He wanted the element of surprise on his side so that he could execute Joram quickly. He didn't want anybody to get news down to them so that they could have time to fortify their defenses and fight him off. He's like, I want to get down there quick. Don't let anybody go to tell about it. That's why he wanted to lock the gates up. 2 Kings 9.17 Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, And he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, Get a horseman and send him to meet them and let him say, Is it peace? So the horseman went to meet him. 
and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, The messenger went to them, but is not coming back. (laughs) Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. (laughs) Look at this. Every time they sent out a a scout guy to see what was going on, they lost him. (laughs) He he went and followed Jehu. We lost another one. So here comes Jehu. He's driving furiously. He was probably leaving a dust cloud behind his chariot. He, He looked like somebody that was coming to attack. Which is why Joram sent horsemen to find out what the deal was, because this guy looks mad. We need to find out what's up. So when you look at his furious style, how he looked so threatening, just from a watchman looking at him from afar, (laughs) you can tell how he obviously had the power of God upon him to execute a lot of destruction, just like the anointing brought for him to accomplish that mission to annihilate Ahab's family line. People could just see Jehu coming from a long way off, and it scared them. 2 Kings 9.21 Then Joram said, Make ready, and his chariot was made ready. Then Joram king of Israel and Ahaziah king of Judah went out, each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu, and they met him on the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Look at where they just happened to meet him at, where they came together on the property of Naboth the the Jezreelite. I'll get to that in a minute. Verse 22. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, What peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah. So this looks like an action scene from some kind of movie, like from Braveheart or something. (laughs) But Joram wasn't sure what this was all about yet, because remember, he and Ahaziah had been making war against the Syrians. He he came back to Jezreel. He'd been wounded. They'd been out doing little war things going on. And so I guess he was concerned that if Jehu had news of the war front, maybe Jehu's coming to tell me what's going on out there in some of our battles. So I think Joram was concerned that he was about to get an urgent report about something going on in the war front. And he was asking, is it peace? Do we have problems coming? I don't think he was afraid that maybe Jehu was coming to get him. He had no clue Jehu was coming to get him. He was wondering, is there somebody behind you that we need to know about? Is it peace? Are we about to have the war come here? I think that's what he was wanting to know. But what Jehu told him he was actually coming for was him because of all the idolatry and the witchcraft of his mother Jezebel, the things that she had done. He said harlotries. That means prostitution. That means a whore. That means she sold herself off to do wicked things. And he says the harlotries of your mother, the things that she had done. Suddenly Joram knew he was in trouble, big trouble. And he turned around and ran for his life, yelling in terror. And he was shouting to King Ahaziah to jump in and help. Treachery, Ahaziah, help me. And guys, this is 
Typically, what happens to dictators who abuse their God-given leadership, it always catches up with them. These kings, both of them, they had misused their power, and they had abused it and done whatever they wanted for themselves, and they did it in the name of the false god Baal. And now look, now they're getting their judgment, and they are scared and don't know what to do. They should have turned around and trusted the Lord. Friend, I'm going to tell you, if you're putting your trust in other things besides God, it's going to catch up to you. Right now is a good time to get right with Jesus Christ while you can. Second Kings 9.24 Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow came out at his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, Pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore, take him and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. Boy, did Jehu take him by surprise or what? Look at that shot. Now, you deer hunters out there, <laughs> you want to be this accurate. Guys, you can just tell that it was the Lord that had, in, that had empowered Jehu with the power and the accuracy to make a shot like this. Full strength draw, bam, right between the heart. It's a lot like how the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and enabled David with both power and accuracy to strike down Goliath with that slingshot. David did not hit Goliath in the finger. He didn't hit him in the shoulder. He hit him right between the eyes with full force. That is Spirit of God enablement right there. So when Jehoram fell down into his chariot, Jehu's officer reminded him of an old prophecy that Elijah had given before that they were now responsible for fulfilling. He goes, look, it's now our turn to fulfill what Elijah said. What did Elijah say? Well, let me take you back to 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 17, when the Lord condemned Ahab. I want you to see what this is about. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So what is this about? I want you to recall back when King Ahab, he wanted this vineyard from this guy named Naboth, He wanted it for himself because he didn't want to have to travel farther to go get uh, groceries. No, he wanted to take away Naboth's vineyard. Ahab never did cultivate that vineyard. He didn't take care of it himself, but he sure had no problem with just taking it away. So he and Jezebel acted together. If you remember the story, Naboth said, no, I'm not going to give you my vineyard. So Ahab went home to cry about it. And Jezebel says, hey, you're the king. of You're the king. You, you don't have to listen to that. I'll go take it. So she got her, his approval. They went down and together they killed Naboth and took it anyway. And so not only was this murder here, not only was this stealing, 
But this also violated God's law that protected every Israelite's inheritance to keep anyone from taking away what God had given to them. It was this right to inheritance laws that was written in God's law. Nobody can take an an Israelite's inheritance land away once the Lord God gave it to them. But Ahab and Jezebel, they didn't care at all about what God's law said. So they just killed Naboth and took the vineyard away. Now in 1 Kings 21, we read that Naboth was killed, but here in 2 Kings 9, we're given a little bit more information that 1 Kings didn't show us, which is the fact that Ahab also killed Naboth's sons as well. He killed Naboth's line. So guess what? Ahab is going to lose his line. Now I want to remind you that when Ahab found out that the Lord was going to judge him for taking Naboth's vineyard, that it scared him. Friends, I need you to hear this. It scared him when he found out that the Lord was angry at his sin. It scared him so bad that he went into mourning over it. He was all slumped down and he was just, it just bothered him. And the Lord said to Elijah in 1 Kings 21 29, he said, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me. I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. So, guys, wow. Okay, Ahab's a bad guy. He did some terrible stuff. It's amazing. But look at how the Lord gave Ahab some time because he got low. Then again, ultimately, Ahab never did get right with the Lord, and he did die in battle. And the dogs did come and lick up his blood, just like the Lord said would happen. The Lord said, the dogs shall come and lick up your blood, even yours. Yes, I know you're a king, but even yours, you're not exempt. They're going to lick up your blood, just like they licked up the blood of Naboth, the guy you killed. So, friends, look, he did wrong. He did bad. He murdered. He stole. He didn't care about God's law. But the judgment of the Lord scared him. And even a guy as wicked as this, the Lord looked at his getting low, his humility, even if for a while. And he still said, you know what? Because you got low, I'm going to hold off the calamity till later. Now, friends, this is our God. He has to judge sin. He's got to do it. But when he sees us get low, then he will respond to that. And he did even with a guy like Ahab. Friend, it's such a good thing for you to get down on your knees and say, Lord, I know what I've got coming to me because of the bad things I've done, and I'm sorry. Forgive me. Get low before the Lord God. Oh, my gosh, it's such a good thing to do. So the Lord gave him a long opportunity to turn back, but Ahab never did. Ahab got low, but he never really did get right. So his repentance, his getting low, it was just a brief temporary time. Oh, no, the Lord's mad at me. And he got low, scared for a little bit, and it wore off. And he's like, ah, everything's okay. That's too bad. He shouldn't have done that. But now here we are much later in history during the reign of Ahab's son. And since Ahab never did set the family line back to the Lord God, he could have. You know, when he was low, he should have thought, you know what? I better steer my family away from false God worship of Baal. And I need to turn them back to the Lord. He He had enough fear that he should have done that, but he didn't. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.